So uh, I was just really going to give a little bit of my testimony because I'm pretty new here. I think it's about three months now. Um, and also a bit with what, what I'm sort of up to, really. It's, uh, I don't know if anybody's done any, any work at all with, with the Billy Graham Association. I, I haven't, but I did some training with them. And one of the things that they said was you need to get your testimony down to about two minutes. So I, I guess most of the guys there must be pretty young because I think after you get to about 60, I don't know how you can keep your testimony to under two minutes, 20 maybe, but anyway. Um, so anyway, yeah, so my name is Andy May, and uh, I'm really, I guess, from Zimbabwe. I was born over here, but I, I spent most of my life, I, I think, in, in Zimbabwe, um, brought up over there. I did my... Um, national service there, a couple of years in the army, and I could see, you know, this is in the 70s where things had gone pretty bad, you know, with the, the Civil War, and um, I could see that uh, things were not going to, you know, not going to change, um, and we were certainly not going to have any sort of input in it, you know, with the, when the rest of the world climbed aboard and what have you. So I, I came over back over here in 76 and uh, worked worked over here for a number of years, uh, got married. I, I married a, 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 a lady whose father was a, an Elam. Um, he'd come out of the Elam church, him with my uncle. They were both Elam ministers, and they'd come out, and they'd uh, gone into an independent uh, Pentecostal church that they'd started. And my uncle used to go around the country um, planting churches and across to Ireland and stuff like that. He was a salesman. So he, was, he used to be able to go over and get sales jobs, and then he would plant little groups. And they were called the Fellowship of Decisive Christians. <laughs> it's quite a mouthful, but uh, anyway, there we are. Um, I, I went against everybody's wishes, and I married this girl. I was 20, early 20, she was 18, and we went against everybody's wishes. And um, I'd gone along to church, um, for a year or two, I hadn't come from a, a background of Christianity, um, and then against their wishes, everybody there, uh, we got married, and the marriage didn't last. Um, and at some stage in, in the 80s, I went back to, to, to Zimbabwe, and I went back into the family business over there, which was jewellery. Um, I trained as a, as a um, not really as a gemologist, I'd done a, about a year um, gemology and then I'd done some diamond cutting and stuff like that just to give me a flavor of the business and I'd gone and done some work in the business before I'd gone into the army. So I went back over there for a few years and, uh, and then came back here um, and I spent, I just managed to get a job in the DIY industry and sort of worked through and I ended up as a, as a, a store opening manager with B&Q um, in, the, in the mid late 80s. Um, and, uh, yeah, just my, my life, you know, I was a total, I would, I don't know that I was an atheist. I didn't really give it a, too much thought. I was a, I was certainly a hedonist. I just believed in living for today and, uh, believing in, um, you know, you cram as much enjoyment as you can into life because you only get one shot. That was my, my philosophy. So, uh. And then around about the year early 2000s, so I was now in mid, mid, my mid-40s, I was uh, on my third marriage, um, and I was, um, yeah, I thought I was pretty successful, you know, I'd gone, gone back from over here, I'd grown the business, we were manufacturing, we had uh, shops, 
and um, I'd gone into some other bits and pieces as well, so we were exporting, and I, I thought I was pretty indestructible. Um, and then in 2004, I don't know quite what, why, what happened, but uh, the powers that be over there, they, they didn't give me a gold license. So we were, at that stage, we were needing around about nine or 10 kgs of gold a year. Um, and then we were pr producing a lot of jewelry. We were selling to other people as well. Um, we didn't get the gold licenses. I took on a, a, an African chap, a black guy, as my procurement director, I thought that might help. And he came back after about three weeks and he said, you're not gonna get your license. Uh, you, you've had it, basically. And my father died just before that. Um, he was a Christian. He used to come to me. He'd, he'd, he'd spent a lot of years searching and he'd gone through all sorts of different things and uh, searching and he became a, a born again Christian. And he, every now and then he would have a little go and I would say, no. And, um, but obviously he, him and his wife were, were praying for me and I know my uncle would have been praying for me. So I did have people, thank God, in the family who were, who were always there praying for me. Um, so that, that, was, that was wonderful. And uh, so anyway, I closed the business down in um, 2005 and a lot of people out of work. And over there, you know, people have big families and. Uh, uh, yeah, so um, there was a lot of people then that were being supported by the people that were working for me. So uh, it was pretty traumatic. And uh, because I'd put all my money, it was reinvested in a factory and stuff like that, small factory unit, and bringing all the gear in from outside, from South Africa, all the equipment. Um, there wasn't a lot, of, a lot of cash, and of course then everything was closed down, I, and I was just basically having to sell off um, in a, in a small marketplace. So uh, uh, we hung around, my, my wife and I, for a few years. We went and lived in the Vumba, which is right at the bottom, just where the Rift Valley starts, I guess. You know, you've got the mountains going up through there. Beautiful place, right on the border of Mozambique. It was lovely. Um, we, we sort of hung around there for about 18 months to see what may, maybe politically things would change. And uh, that didn't happen. And then we went to Mozambique for a year. And uh, then at, so, at some stage, I decided it was, you know, we needed to face reality. And uh, so we moved back over here. And I was, by then in my mid-50s, I thought I'd better get a job. And um, so I, I became a bus driver. And, uh, you know, you don't have a lot of choice as you, as you, uh, as you get older. So and it, was, it was good, actually. And, and I'm sure that the Lord was in that because I needed to be, to be um, brought down. Um, I needed to have that, although at the time, again, I still wasn't a Christian. But a couple of years after that, I started thinking about things, and I just was thinking, you know, I just need to check to make sure that life is as I think it is, and that is basically you, you live your life, and then you die, and that's it, end of story. So I was, and I'd always been a reader anyway, so I started reading um, basic philosophy and stuff like that, you know, Socrates and people like that. The guys, the, the guys that are around today don't make any sense whatsoever. And I was talking to a guy who reads philosophy and he was saying, yeah, they just write for each other. Um, so anyways, uh, so I read philosophy. I, I was reading about evolution and science and um, I was uh, anthro anthropology and that type of thing, you know. 
And some of it were some quite nice, fascinating stories, but it didn't really ring true. I just thought, yeah, it's, I don't know, it's all very much supposition and there's not really a lot of factual evidence. In fact, if you're really honest, a lot of it sort of, they change their mind every, every couple of years, you know, things change and then they discover something else and then that last theory gets hit on the head, as, as you all know. Um, so that wasn't really very satisfactory. And I... Um, I then thought, but well, I'd better have a look at the Bible, I guess. I'll, I'll read that as well. And uh, so I've, I started reading the New Testament, and I read through. And uh, I was, I was <laughs> as I was reading it, I was thinking, this is actually making sense. <laughs> and it was a real eye-opener. And I was thinking, hmm, dear, what do I do now? And I was thinking, well... I probably read it a couple of times, and um, and at the same time, then I read a book, an autobiography. I don't know why, I, how I chose it or how I got hold of it, but I read a book by Francis Collins. Um, got it written down here. The title I've actually still got it. In fact, I've given a couple of copies away to people. Um, I can't find that. I can't find it. Doesn't matter. Anyway, and uh, anyway, he 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 was the the. Uh, scientist. He was a doctor and he was a scientist and he was in charge of the international team of scientists that discovered, or rather that mapped the, the human uh, genome. So they spent around about 15 years doing that and this guy was, you know, you, you don't get too much cleverer than that. And, but his book was very simple and very clear and then he had a bit of science. But, so I read that and I was reading the Bible and I thought, this is true. This is true. <laughs> and so I can't remember one, one day I was probably on a day off, I was on my own at home, and I, I got down on my knees and I said, Lord, I'm sorry, I've done all this stuff, but anyway, and I gave my heart to the Lord Jesus, and that was in 2014, so I was approaching 60. <laughs> um, anyway, yeah, so uh, that, that was wonderful, it was wonderful. I didn't go to church for four, four years, I think, I thought I'd better stay and just make sure I'm not going mad. And um, so I, I just continued to read the, uh, the New Testament. I was reading it once a month because I thought I need, to, you know, I need to get a grip with this. So I was reading it, I was praying, and the Lord was working on me. And uh, you know, I was going to work and I was witnessing, um, but I, was, I wasn't going to church. And then I started, I moved up here. That was a wonderful story. How many minutes have I got? <laughs> so uh, anyway, we, we, my, I had a friend who came back from Zimbabwe, he was a mining engineer, he was married to a lady from Norton, so they, they'd moved here. Um, and I used to come up on holiday every now and then, I got to know the language here, so I could understand, <laughs> started to understand people. And um, he got cancer, and he was bad. He was a big guy, he used to play polo cross for Zimbabwe, he used to play cricket for, uh, he was a massive guy, and a ma massive personality. And he got cancer, and he just, Anyway, about at one stage, I, I came up and I said, I'm going to come up and I want to be with you. Because we'd gone back from, the, from 1970. I'd known him for, at the time, nearly 50 years. So we'd gone back as kids together. And um, so we, we said, I just said, we're going to move up. And, you know, I could get a job as a bus driver. They're easy to get. So uh, that's, that was the plan and that's what happened. And he died about three months before I moved up here. But he wasn't a Christian. He wasn't interested. Uh, in, in the things of the Lord, and he just was very closed. Um, 
So we moved up, and about two weeks after we moved here from a, living in a one-bedroom flat, I was able to buy a, a house up here. Um, and then we found out that my wife was pregnant. So um, that, was an amazing, that was an amazing thing, because it would have been more difficult down there. Um, but I think I believe that the Lord did have a plan to, for me to come up, although I wasn't really looking at being in God's plan at that stage or anything like that. Um, but anyway, and then I started going to church, and then about two years ago, I was reading through the, 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 the Testament, the New Testament, as I was doing, and every, every possible verse that you could equate to witnessing was hitting me, and I was getting this conviction that I needed to be more, more of a witness for the Lord Jesus to proclaim the gospel. And I was thinking, I guess, because of my own life and the stuff that I'd been up to for, I don't know, 50-odd years of my life, and also, I'd had problems, and I, it wasn't, I don't think, with closing the business, but I had problems where I was have, started to have fits. And the first one I had, I thought, I got up, I was, I was going to go to the toilet in the middle of the night, and I thought, I'm having a heart attack. And I sort of laid on the, on the floor in the bathroom, and my wife at the, phoned the ambulance, and they came out, they got me into hospital, and then I sort of passed, and they did a few tests, and they said, ah. Anyway, and then I went to the doctor and he did some tests and he said, that's nah, all stress. I don't know, if I, I didn't feel stressed. And then those fits I was getting, they started happening about twice a year. And I, they were so bad that if I was on my own, I, I mean, once I knocked my teeth out as I fell, and another time I was locked in a bathroom and I'd lost all control of every function, of, you can imagine. It was, it was pretty bad. And I continued to have those when I was over here. And I also suffered for a, for a number of years from a bad back. So about once a year, maybe twice a year, I'd, I'd be off for a week or two, and I'd be able to, and also my neck. And they'd done some x-rays, and I had an old whiplash in, injury and arthritis. And um, so for a week or two every year, I was incapacitated. I couldn't move, and I'd have to just rest, and then it would come right. And then about after a couple of years, I thought... I've not had any fits and I've not had any problems. And I've, since, since then, I've never had a problem with my back. I've never had a problem with fitting. So the Lord, you know, I just, the Lord must have healed that at the same time as I was saved because that, that all went and it took me a while to realize. So that was an amazing. But anyway, going back, so I was reading through the New Testament and every single passage was, was sort of saying, you need to go and you need to start being a witness for me. And I was saying, no, I don't. I'm quite happy to tell the Lord, you know, give my testimony. You know, if we're sitting with, in a canteen with a couple of guys, I'll, I'll, I'm quite happy to do that. But I can't, I can't go out in public and start, you know, that's just not me. I sit in my room and I read and I study, and um, that's 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 me. I'm I'm a shy person. I don't. So, but that was it. I was I was really convicted, and then, and I, I read the uh, the one the, one of the. The, the, it was the parable of the talents and the one talent and I thought well maybe I've got one talent I don't know but it, it hit me that I needed to use whatever it was that God had me and I thought well I, I, I can speak you know I can I can talk to people and I but I, I needed to do that and I joined the pocket testament league I don't know if everybody's aware of them but they uh, it was started by Helen Cadbury um, about 1900 or 1880 odd. She was a young teenage girl. Parents had a lot of money and she became a Christian and she started getting tracks produced to give out to all her friends. 
and then she married a, a well-known American evangelist, but, the, but the, that, that pocket testamently grew, and uh, they're all over the world now, so they, they produce really attractive gospels of John, Mark, um, that, that type of thing. So I joined that, and just after I joined, I, was, I saw that they were having a podcast with a guy called Trevor Dickinson, who's a... Um, uh, who, who's the leader of the Outreach UK, um, who used to be the old coal porters that used to go around with the barrels of, and, and sell books door-to-door. -door. And as, they, as that sort of petered out, they became a door-to-door -door mission and um, open-air mission. So uh, he gave a testimony on a, a podcast on this, uh, on this channel, and he, he was talking about in the early days, he had gone, he'd been moved to a town whatever reason, I can't remember, 25, remember there was 25,000 households and he prayed to the Lord that he would be able to knock on every single door whilst he was in that town. And I thought, that's, what, that's who I've got to join, I've got to join those guys. And I did that. Um, I, I joined up with them. And uh, so I was able then to get some training and some sort of resources, you know, they give you resources, gospels and uh, loads of tracks and all that type of thing. Um, and that, and that's, that's basically how, how, how I started off. And then from there, a few weeks after that, because you have to put your testimony in the magazine, um, and then a guy called uh, Jeff Marshall read it, because he'd been with them years ago, and he, he, he was now a, um, a pastor of a, a free evangelical church, but he saw my testimony and he phoned me. And he's based in Saltburn, and he said, hey, we go out. And, we go. and so I ended up now with, with, with these people. So we go out um, Mondays, we go to Middlesbrough, and on Wednesdays we go up, uh, I go into Stockton actually with somebody else, and then Fridays they go to Durham, we go to Durham, and they also go to Newcastle and stuff like that. So there's a group of about 15 people from the Brethren, from there's a couple of Pentecostal guys, um, free evangelicals, and uh, what have you. So, uh, and it's so, it's so amazing, you know, you, it's so amazing because you go out and you talk to people in the streets and you see the need and uh, it's just incredible because, you know, uh, the story in the, in, the, in the New Testament about the 70 people going out and they're, and they're proclaiming the word of God and they come back, I know they're talking about, you know, and even the, the demons um, listen to us, but the thing is that they came back rejoicing. And you go out, you know, and sometimes you think, actually, I wouldn't mind just staying in bed today. Maybe it will rain, you know. It, it happens. And you, but you go out and you come back and you're rejoicing because the Lord blesses what, what, what's, you know, you're ta always, there's always people that you're talking to. And if I, it's all right, I would just like to just finish with a couple of people that we've spoken to recently, just a couple of stories, which... Um, so, uh, yeah, so... And this is just stuff in the last few weeks. In Stockton, we met, I met an atheist. He was a, I was talking to a, a, a friend of mine who was a Christian from somewhere or other, and he met and this friend of his came up. He said, oh, he's an atheist. So we started talking. I was able to witness to him, and he was started to listen. And, yeah, he started to listen to me. You know, from being an adamant, I am an atheist, he started to listen, and then I gave him some stuff on, on you know, how silly atheism is and... And uh, he said, I'm, I'm going to read it. And he went off. And uh, so that was, that was one. That was, that was, so that was a really good positive thing, you know, where people are, you can get people to start thinking. Because, you know, they say, I, I don't know, I, I, 
I don't know, I'm not too much into facts and figures, but they say that for somebody to become a Christian, they probably need at least eight conversations with people, various people, and it moves them along a chain, so they might start off as an atheist and they end up born again. But it's a process. So when we go out, we don't look at it as, okay, we've got to get people born again. You know, we, it happens. It's, occasionally it happens. It's amazing when it does. When you get somebody come up on the street and they start saying, I need the Lord Jesus, and you start praying with them. It's an amazing, but it doesn't happen often. But the fact is that you can move people further along, and that's, that's the aim, you know, to get people more knowledgeable about the Lord and what he, what he, what, what, who the Lord Jesus is, because people are illiterate today. You know, 50, 60 years ago, everybody went to Sunday school, even if it was because their mum and dad kicked them out so they could have a couple of hours on their own on a Sunday. But people knew a little bit about God, but nowadays they don't know. So it's great to be able to have these conversations. So, yeah, we, we had the, a couple of, this is about a month ago, three girls coming past from Middlesbrough, uh, the college, and they started swearing at one of the guys. And Pat, bless her, she's, she's 83, she walks with a stick, and she comes every Monday, and she's brilliant. So she started talking to the three girls, and she ended up giving them some gospels, and then the following week, they came back. So these are girls that had been swearing at one of the guys there, and they came back the following week, and the one said, I've read, the, I've read it, and they were all having, you know, having a talk. So that was such a wonderful thing, you know, to see that. Um, I had an old man in, in uh, Durham a, 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 a few weeks ago, very smartly dressed guy. I would imagine he was in his 80s, and I, and I sort of spoke to him, and he said, oh, I'm off to the cathedral. I'm a, some sort of deacon, I don't know. They have special names, don't they? I don't know if he's a virgin or what he was, but he was off to the cathedral. And he'd been an officer in the church for decades. And I said, and he said, I'm going to a Eucharist meeting. And I said, okay. And I said, are you born again? And he said, what is that? What does that mean? <laughs> so I was, again, I was able to talk to him. And I said, you've got to be born again. It's no good just going to church and lighting candles and stuff like that. And I, and I was able to go through John 3 with him. And he said, and he was almost in tears, and he, and he took the, the gospel and he went away and he said, I, I'm going to read it. And I said, read it, get down on your knees and pray, and God will, God will open your eyes. And he said, yeah, I'm going to go and do that. And he was going to read it anyway. So then a, um, a young man, this is a couple of weeks ago now, Macaulay his name was, and he was sat next to another a guy, a black guy on the bench there in town, and this young guy was sat on the floor. So Pat had already gone over there, and then she called me over, and she and I was saying, and I was talking to him, and she was praying, and um, was giving him the gospel message, and he was sad. You know, you, you could tell. He, I said, you're on, you're, you're taking drugs, and he sort of nodded his head, but he was obviously just starting. You know, he wasn't looking too bad and I and I was telling him about the Lord Jesus and then he we prayed with him we prayed with him and he started to cry and then he went off and we were then praying with the other guy the black guy that was sat there next to him and he was from the Sudan and his children both his children were dead his wife had gone off and we were able to pray with him and talk to him as well and then the other guy came back and he said thank you so much for talking to me and thank you for the, the and he said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be looking at it. And he went off again. So, so those are the stories. I just want to finish with a story last week. This is the, not this Monday, the Monday before. Eric, uh, one of the chaps, he's a prison 
visitor. And he, we were just talking just as we were starting. He was saying, you know, he used to be a policeman. And he said, you know, I go, go into the prisons. He said, and sometimes you think, what a, this is a waste of time. He said, because a lot of them, they'll come and they'll have a conversation. He said, and all they're doing really is they, they're getting their brownie points because if they be, they're seen to be doing, you know, the right things, then it helps them with, uh, I think, with their sentence and stuff like that. So, so sometimes it's quite demoralising. You're going in and you can sense that that person is really just there because of, you know, that reason. So I said, oh, yeah, OK. And anyway, about ten minutes later, this guy walks past with his wife and he's, he's like that and he's got tattoos all over his, you know, he's got tattoos on his tattoos. And he's, he's got guns tattooed on his wrists and I'm thinking, OK. So, and he goes, he comes up and he says... I'm born again. <laughs> so, so, oh, fantastic, okay. And he said, yeah, he said, I was born again. He said, I, I was in a gang. I was, you know, with guns and stuff like that in Manchester. And he said, and um, I, uh, I was, um, yeah, quite a bad boy. He said, I can't go into detail about what, what, what was going on, he said. But, and, it, and the funny thing was that his brother was a firearms officer in London. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, but he said, yeah, he said, oh, and, I, and I said, well, how did that happen? How were you born again? He said, I was in prison. <laughs> he said, and I was, um, and a prison visitor came, and he was sat with me, and he said, he said, I don't know what his name was at the time, he said, but he said to me, you're either going to get killed, or you're going to die a nasty, or whatever, something's going to, and he said, and, I, and it really hit me that my life was just a total, you know, worse than a waste of space and and he became a christian and born again and the the wonderful thing was that we'd just been so i called eric over said eric come and listen to this guy now so and he was able to talk, talk to this so if, from eric saying you know sometimes he gets demoralized and then to have hear a story of this guy who was um yeah so so wonderful so it's really wonderful you know and so as i say you go home and you're blessed, and quite often we'll, go, we'll always go and have coffee and stuff like that. And we're not, we're not talking really about what we've been doing there, because you know, you, you know really what's going on. But we're talking about how God is great, so we're having our coffee, and it's a great time of fellowship as well. So I just wanted to say that um, all the resources, you know, there's so much available from the, uh, the various places. I've put some um, tracks at the back there for people who want to take them, but on the back, it's got the places where you can get them from. And if you're buying in at like 100, they work out at 6p each. So for six quid, you can get 100 tracks. And uh, yeah, so that's, that's all. It's so easy, you know, and even if you, you can leave them on the bus, you can chuck them through people's doors, you can do whatever, you know, you don't even have to talk conversation with people. And I just really wanted to finish off, sorry, Simon. I just wanted to finish off with, with um, from Matthew 24, 14. And it says in there, and this good news about the kingdom will be preached through all the world for a witness to all mankind, and then the end will come. So one of the wonderful things about speaking like this to people like, uh, is that we can actually have an influence on when the Lord returns, because he's not coming back until the, the gospel has gone out throughout the whole world. So that's one of the, the things in there. Uh, so thank you very much. So. Thanks, Andy. Thank you, Andy. Wonderful to hear a bit about you as well and to hear all you're up to. Okay, so our final talk on our uh, gifts weeks. 
you may have not been here for all four weeks, so I'm going to just give you an insight into the pattern that we've been following. And if you have been here, you might have seen that pattern. We started week one. Raj spoke to us about it all starts with God. Do you remember that? It all starts with God and who he is. We look to him. It doesn't start with us. We don't start with ourselves. We start with God. And then week two, Paul spoke to us about God loves to use us. We're, we get involved. He loves to use us. And then week three, um, Angela spoke to us about the church. We are placed in a church, and we can use our gifts in our church community to encourage one another and serve one another. And now week four, we're looking at the world, that we're called to be a blessing to the world with the gifts that God has given you and me. And uh, I was thinking about um, how to uh, just structure this evening and I, I was reminded of um, our friend Chris Frost. Does anyone remember about a year ago, Chris Frost speaking to us on Zoom, if you were around, and he spoke to us about, um, from Acts chapter 15, 16, sorry, and he entitled his talk, The Church Has Left the Building. You may remember it. And he was looking at one of the things that the pandemic did and has done is to make the church consider its reason for being. What's its reason? What's its purpose? He said, actually, one of the things that, you know, the, ch- the church literally had to leave the buildings. We weren't allowed to enter the buildings. But what it did was it, it sent us out from our buildings to remind us that we're to go to the world and to tell of this good news. And so that got me thinking about the book of Acts and all that that has to teach us and tell us about what it means to be a blessing to the world. And so I just thought this evening I would pull out some of the things that I think are helpful to consider from the book of Acts. There may be many more. I've just picked out five. But just as a reminder, the book of Acts is is Luke has written his gospel about Jesus, and uh, now he's writing an account of the early church, the birth of the, the church, and that the Holy Spirit comes and empowers this church and sends them out. And I think there's five things that Acts certainly teaches us. Firstly, Acts teaches us about our purpose. I love this quote from Nicky Gumbel um, of uh, the Alpha Course. He says this, so many people waste their lives. They have no purpose, meaning or goal. Other people do have a goal, but it's the wrong one. They end up chasing something that is ultimately meaningless. Many reach the top of the ladder of success only to find that it's leaning against the wrong wall. Purpose in life is far more important than property and possessions. Having more to live with is no substitute for having more to live for. So we see in the book of Acts, these followers are given a purpose. These early followers of Jesus are given a purpose. You know, they'd already been around Jesus for three years, many of them. And then we get Acts chapter 1, verse 8. It says this. Jesus says this to them. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. That's what, maybe that's one of the passages that Andy was reading when he said, I kept reading through the Bible, and it was saying, you know, it's calling me to witness. It's calling me to be a witness. See, as a, a follower of Jesus, your purpose is defined by him. My purpose is defined by him. Notice it didn't say the disciples kind of worked out their own purpose or decided what their own purpose could be. No, we don't. It, our purpose, we might have individual specific callings on our lives. We might have specific callings, but our ultimate overall purpose 
is defined by God. He defines it. Our purpose includes worshipping God, living for him, telling others of who he is, uh, being a light and a blessing to the world. Actually, it's the very same purpose that these followers in Acts were given. I think it's important that we consider what our purpose is. Because if we don't, then all we do really is if we ask that question, we'll just ask that question when we're thinking about spiritual gifts and being a gift to the, gift to the world. We'll just think, well, why? What's the point? What's the purpose? Well, the purpose is this, that you and I have been called to be a blessing to the world. And that's why he gives you and I gifts to bless the world. Okay, so purpose. But Acts also teaches us about God's power. See, for a lot of my early years as a Christian, I knew Jesus had died for me. And I, I knew I'd received his forgiveness. And I knew that I was a, a new person in him. But I still kind of thought that the life I lived had to be lived solely out of my ability, my power. Of course, I knew that the Christian life meant sacrifice. It meant um, right living. It meant sharing my faith. But I didn't really realize where that power came from. For me, it was more like, right, okay, I guess, God, if I keep my side of the bargain of being good, living right, then you'll keep your side of the bargain of saving me. And that's what I thought the Christian life was for. And it was a kind of in a time in the mid-90s where um, churches were going through an experience of um, being filled with the Holy Spirit afresh. I don't know if, if people were around during that time in the mid-90s. It was kind of came out of a, a you know, they, they used to call it the Toronto Blessing, didn't they, in, in terms of churches in Canada um, being moving in the spirit and actually that affecting the UK quite significantly. And, you know, our church was, was part of that, that whole kind of experience in the, in the mid-90s. And, and that was amazing. And, but I, I don't think I kind of, I, I kind of just thought, and this wasn't the fault of my church, I kind of just thought, oh, wow, the Holy Spirit is for meetings. The Holy Spirit is for gatherings when we get together and that's it. I didn't realize and it's not the fault of my church. I think it was the fault of my kind of teenage brain. Um, I just kind of, I didn't realize the Holy Spirit was to empower me, to give me power, to help me to live, to help me to share my faith with my friends outside of the church four walls. I didn't realize that God had empowered me and wanted to give me gifts and to be a blessing to the world around me. I'd missed it. I'd missed that bit in Acts that I just read. You'll receive power. And you'll be my witnesses. We need to know the Holy Spirit's power. See, the truth is, I don't have, and you don't have, any ability to see someone turn to Christ. In your own ability, in my own ability, we don't, we don't, really don't. Jesus says, doesn't he, that no one can come to, the, to me unless the, the Father who sent me draws him. But actually... The truth is, when we're filled with the Spirit, when we are uh, empowered by him, we can see people turn to him. And it's wonderful. We're even seeing that on Alpha at the moment, seeing people turning to Jesus. That's so exciting, isn't it? Not through our ability, not through you know, people on our Alpha course's ability to share the gospel in such an amazing, intelligent way. No, no, it's because God is drawing people to him. And that's really exciting. Okay, Acts also teaches us 
about the unlikelies. If you're not, if English isn't your first language, the unlikelies might be a, an odd phrase, but really it's talking about the fact that we don't have to be someone special. We don't have to be someone we're not. It says this in Acts as well. It says that the religious authorities were amazed at Peter and John. It says this in Acts 4. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. See, as we consider being a blessing to the world, you and I, God is not looking for us to kind of meet some level of intelligence or ability or status. He uses the unlikelies. That's why we've been having these stories uh, at the start of each of these weeks, because we're, we're unlikelies, aren't we? <laughs> we're, we're, all of us are unlikelies. And Paul tells the Corinthian church that God chooses and uses the weak, the foolish, and the lowly in his plans. There's no room for boasting that God needs, hey, God needs me. No, he doesn't at all. But hey, do you know what? He chooses to use you and I. I've been watching on TV um, the new BBC series about the SAS. Has anyone watched this? SAS Rogue Heroes. It's, it's, a, it's a little bit choice in some of its language. But it's fascinating um, to see the, the, the birth of the SAS in the time of World War II, isn't it? It's fascinating and watching how the SAS grew out of, that the SAS was this kind of special um, group of soldiers that did special missions in World War II. Um, and it's fascinating to see how, you know, there's this point where they're, they're choosing who's gonna be in the SAS and they're having these interviews with soldiers and you're thinking, well, how are, they gonna, how are they gonna choose? What characteristics are they gonna look like? And a lot of the soldiers are thinking, well, it's gonna be these characteristics, it's gonna be this, it's gonna be this, but they're looking for something different. They're looking for um, uh, something out of the box. They're looking for something totally different than what soldiers are expecting. And uh, do you know what? God looks for something different in you and I. He doesn't look for status. He doesn't look for your intelligence. In fact, in fact, that passage from Acts tells us what he looks for because it says that the authorities were amazed and, and they took note that Peter and John had been with Jesus. That's what God's looking for. He's looking for us to be with Jesus. He's looking for us to learn how to spend time with him and know him and enjoy him. That's what he's looking for. He loves to use the unlikelies. See, I think this is one of the, the enemy's biggest attacks on us. It's to make us think that, oh, we're not old enough, we're not mature enough, oh, we're not British enough, or we're not international enough, whatever it might be. We're not intelligent enough. No, that's what the enemy wants to tell us. But God wants to tell us something different. He uses you and I. Fourthly, he, uh, if we're to use our gifts in the world, Acts teaches us not to withdraw from the world. Okay, If we're to use our gifts in the world... The book of Acts teaches us not to withdraw from the world. So, for instance, we have Peter who goes into Cornelius' house. Cornelius is a Roman centurion. We have Paul who goes to, to a place in Athens where all the, the people just sit around all day talking. Um, we have Lydia who worked in the business world. Um, she sold um, imported cloth. We have Philip who goes down to Samaria. Samaria was not like a welcoming place at all. For Philip, but he went there. 
these these Christians, these new believers in Acts, they weren't to be in the world in the sense of they took on the world's sinful behavior, they took on the world's morality, they took on the world's spirituality. No, no. But they weren't to have, they, they, they were called to be in the world, but not to be fearful of being around people in some kind of way that they were, to be, they were going to become polluted. This is what Jesus says in John 17. He says, my prayer so he's praying to God about his followers. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. See, where are the places that you are during the week? See, we can sometimes feel the pressure just to withdraw from the world, can't we? But it's pretty likely that the places that you find yourself during the week are the places that God has called you to be a blessing in. And you know what, if we're going to be a blessing in those places and we're going to use the gifts that God has given us, we're going to have to remember what Angela talked to us about last week as she ended her talk, that it's all done in a context of love. And uh, as we develop compassion for those that are around us, think about the people that you spend most of your day with, whether it's at university or at work or in your family or on your street, or in a community project, whatever it might be, as we develop compassion and love for those around us, we'll be led to pray for them, to serve them, to share Jesus with them, and to use those gifts that he's given you and he's given me. Finally, finally, Acts teaches us that there's a variety of gifts given to believers. See, throughout Acts, there's examples of people using the gifts in the places around them. Prophecy, words of knowledge, healing, miracles, administration, encouragement, serving, help, all sorts. And this is important because God has given us different gifts. And it's good for us to consider the gifts that he's given to each one of us. Because they might not be the same as the gifts that he's given to the person that sat next to you this evening. See, in one sense, there are many gifts that we will all use at one time or another. Gifts like prophecy or healing or encouragement or words of knowledge. I believe they're gifts that all at one time or another we can use as Christians. God calls us to use those gifts and to work in them. And in another sense, there are gifts that we'll be particularly suited to. Um... Because that's who God has made us. They're the type of gifts that God has made us to be that type of person. You might know the kind of gift that God has given you. Might be, it might be uh, you know, serving. I love to serve people. It might, be, um, uh, it might be prophetically. I love to really um, move prophetically in other people's lives. It, you, you will know what it is. But what if, what if you don't know? What if you think, do you know what? I have no idea what gifts God has given me. Maybe, maybe you're a fairly new Christian. Maybe you're fairly young. Maybe you're just in a season of your life where, you know, for whatever reason, you're thinking, well, I'm, it's kind of a, just a shifting season in my life, and I'm just wondering, well, I wonder what gifts God has given me. Well, I, I heard some really helpful advice from a guy called John Piper, who's a, an American a church leader, about this. And he said, this is what he advises people, and they say, do you know, I don't know what my gifts are. I have no idea. He says this, consider what um, Peter says in 1 Peter 4, verse 10. And he says this, 
Peter says, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. And he says it starts with this, as each has received a gift. So it doesn't say if, it says as each has received a gift. So we've all received gifts. God has given, has gifted you and I, if we're Christians. He's given us gifts. And then he continues, it says, serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. So he says, what do we do? We, we look away from ourselves. We look away from navel-gazing, from kind of just kind of looking in on ourselves, and we look up to God's grace. We look up to who he is. And we, then we set our hearts to love and to serve the people around us, looking to kind of be a channel of that grace into their lives so that they might experience the grace of God. And then he says this, he says, and then we love them in whatever way seems most natural to us. And he says, do you know, as you love and you serve them in whatever way seems most natural to you, do you know what? That's most likely the gift that God has given you. That's not going to be far off the gift that God has given you. I think that's really good advice, actually. I think it's good advice if you're just thinking, I have no idea what my gift is. So just to summarize as we finish, Acts teaches us about our purpose, teaches us about the power of God, power of the Holy Spirit. It teaches us that he loves to use the unlikelies. It teaches us that we're not to withdraw from the world. And it teaches us that he's given us a variety of gifts, even if we're not sure of what they are yet. And I thought what we'd do before we discuss um, this evening's talk, what we would do is do a quick exercise. You might want to discuss this exercise as well um, afterwards, but you've got some bits of sheets of paper on your desk, and they look a bit like this. Hopefully there's enough for everyone, and if there's not, don't worry. If you need spares, come to this table. What I've done is I've, I, you should have, be able to have one each. And it's, it's a, a very, you know, it's not a, surefire, it's not a surefire exercise. It's not a watertight exercise, but it's just to kind of get you thinking. What you do in the first circle, put what are the things that I love to do? What are the things that I have a real heart for? I've put some examples in there. You know, it might be being hospitable to, with others. It might be, do you know what, I have a real heart for children and families. Um, or, do you know what, I, I really love to help people who are experiencing homelessness or um, working with refugees or something. What's God given you a heart for? And then on the second side, on the second circle, just write the things that I'm gifted to do. The things, the things I know, I, I, the things I, I kind of sense God's gifted me in. It might be cooking. It might be in some kind of sport, or um, might be in helping others. I, I know God's gifted me in this. It might be encouragement. Um, and then you're looking for the things that kind of cross both circles, where those circles meet. If there's things that you think, do you know what? They fit in both of those circles. Do you know, maybe that's the thing that God has gifted you in, to be able to be a blessing to the world. Maybe. But it's just a, an exercise to get you thinking, to get you thinking about the, the gifts that God has given you and the things you have a heart for and that you love. So just do that for a few minutes. And uh, then if you're comfortable, you might want to discuss it on your table with others. And there's some questions as well. But thanks for listening. I'll give you a few minutes to be able to just to kind of do that.
chat with the person next to you if you're finding it hard to complete. <laughs>